Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, Lord, when we think about the wonderful, amazing, powerful cross, and we see the love of Christ displayed for all the world to see, it, it truly draws us to want to surrender, to give our complete devotion and love to you. And our response, the fitting response, the only response in the face of the cross is to completely give our lives to you. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for a time of worship tonight as we gather as the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified in everything that is said and done. We thank you for this morning and all that you did there, Lord. And we thank you for a day today where I pray that many were able to spend time maybe with family or friends or spend some time resting and relaxing and, Lord, just enjoying a day of just praising you and celebrating you, Lord, whether we were working on some things at the house working on some things outside, uh, whatever it is, Lord. I pray that in all that we did today, we worshiped you. We didn't stop worshiping you when we left this building this morning because we really never stop worshiping you as followers of Christ if we choose to continue in that attitude. And so, Lord, tonight, as we continue in song and, and the study of your word, it's just a continuation of the worship that we began this morning when we woke up and, and got going about the day. So, Lord, again, thank you for this evening. I pray that you'd be glorified again in all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to begin uh, just with a couple quick announcements. And so a couple things that we talked about this morning, but just reminders about these things. Um, and then we'll dive into our study this evening. So the first thing I want to make sure you're aware of is Word of Life. Uh, that begins uh, again, or that's starting here very, very soon. So registration is up and running. It runs from today until August 27th. Again, the cost is $25 per child, uh, $13 if they would like a t-shirt ages four years old through sixth grade. Um, again, you can register online through the app. You can take care of all of that on there as well. Um, we also will be looking at getting something on there if it's not already, where if you as an adult want to go ahead and get a devotional, um, you want to register for that, you can We'll have that set up through the app. You can do that. Or if you have a teenager in our student ministry that would like to get a devotional, uh, we'll have it set up where they're able to do that as well. Uh, maybe have a, an option there where they can select teen or adult um, and go from there. So want to really encourage you to get involved in that. Um, if you have children or grandchildren, uh, you will not regret spending the $25 to get them the devotional, the materials. It will be so beneficial to you and to them. Um, also, if you would like to get an adult devotional, everything is on the same passage. So if you have a child who's a first grader and a fifth grader and maybe a sophomore in high school, all of them are on the same passage for that day, even the adult devotional, which really the adult and the teen is basically the same thing. Um, you're going to be in the same passage. Now it's different age, kind of appropriate lengths of the passage. The adult might be eight to 10 verses. The first grader is going to be one verse, but it's all the same passage so that if you're doing your devotion and they're doing theirs, you're all in the same passage. So it works great for doing family uh, devotions or having conversations about that. So if you do not have a child or grandchild or scholarship and to sponsor a child or children, and so you can do that at, um, which we've already had some people doing that, Sandra. Yes. 
Yep, some of you guys know this. Usually we have a table out here with example devotionals um, for the different age groups and stuff. So that'll be out there as well. So you can go kind of pick it up, flip through it, look at it. Um, I love how Word of Life makes everything very fun and colorful for the kids. It's very engaging. Um, it is not boring materials. It's very colorful and, again, engaging. Um, I think they just redid their Gopher Buddy logos and, and materials and stuff like that where the, the kind of characters and all that. Yeah, so Word of Life is always trying to keep things up to date and kind of keep things fresh like that. So it's really cool to see the, the work they put into that. Also, with that, uh, we will have kind of, a, kind of an informative or informational meeting on August 20th. Uh, if you are interested in serving uh, in any way, shape, or form with Word of Life, it could be small group leader, could be helping with games, it could be any number of things. Um, we're always looking for more and more help and more and more people that maybe say, I, I can't really help every week, but I can be a sub or I can kind of fill in. That's always beneficial. Uh, there'll be a short meeting on August 20th for anyone interested in that right after church. Very short, 15 minutes. Um, you'll get more information and then... Uh, Hopefully get your questions answered and all that stuff. All right. Uh, family Day at the Park is going on August 19th, 11 to 3. So hopefully you can join us for that. Missionaries are coming. Obviously, we've been talking about this. The Richard and Allison C. and Tammy C. So don't forget about that. And then Communion will be going on August 20th as well. Um, with all of that, don't forget that as we're thinking about Word of Life starting up, um, We'll have our kickoff carnival in September, and then we're off into the school year. And I really want to encourage all of us to be praying for this upcoming school year, to pray for the kids that the Lord's going to send our way, whether it's kids that we've had in the years past that are going to continue through the, the ministry, or maybe it's new kids coming in. Uh, we're always praying for God to continue to equip us to be able to lead them well, to give them God's word effectively, and that they would either come to know Christ or grow in Christ. And so that's the whole point of that. So if you'd begin praying for our Word of Life ministry, Go for Buddies and Olympians, our student ministry for the 7th to 12th graders, as that school year is getting ready to start up, uh, there's a lot of things going on, and we want to pray that they'll be able to continue to grow in Christ. All right? Um, any questions, comments, anything like that about any upcoming events or activities? Any questions or comments or anything? All right. Well, I do have uh, a handout for you guys tonight. So Psalm chapter 13 is where we're going to be. Psalm 13. So if I can get a couple volunteers, I need maybe two volunteers. So Scott, thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Kevin. So uh, handouts will be Kevin and then clipboards will be Scott. I'll give you all of them. So in case somebody wants them, uh, does anyone need a pen? Anyone need a pen to write with? Pastor's kid, not prepared. If you need a clipboard, Scott's got those for you. Handouts, pens. Here you go. All right, we're handing those out. Once you guys, everyone gets those, we'll jump right in. Was that bothering you, having that door open? can't really make fun of me anymore because I was, the whole time I was worshiping, I'm like, that door is wide open over there. Look at that. See, but if I would have went and closed the door, he would have a hard time about it. So that's how it works. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 13, um, our passage this evening, uh, six verses. So it's a short Psalm. Uh, but I pray it's an encouragement to you. So what we're going to be doing tonight, and as we've been doing for a little while now, thank you, sir, um, is we have been going through a passage of Scripture together, 
And we give you guys a handout of that passage because we want you to work through the passage with us. And so we want to be very engaged in this. Um, I know sometimes in church we can go to church and hear a passage talked about or preached. Um, Some of us are more note takers than others, um, and that's totally fine. But we want to give you an opportunity to work through the text, um, to see that when you do your own personal Bible study, you can easily engage the text. You can start making quick observations um, and kind of engage the text in a way that you would draw out of it the meaning, what, what it's talking about. And so we're going to do that together as we've been doing now for quite a while. As I say all the time, I have no idea how much longer we're going to keep doing these kind of studies. Uh, the Lord, if the Lord leads a, um, thank you, sir. If the Lord leads a series our way or a certain study, we might take a break from this and do a, maybe like a mini series or another study or something and come back to it. So that's kind of up to the Lord how he wants to lead us. But tonight what we're going to do is I'm going to give you guys about 10 minutes per normal You guys are going to have the text there. I want you to kind of just work through the text. What you're doing is you're looking for observations you can make, um, locations, names, places, conversations, what's being talked about, questions that are being asked, uh, how the person's responding to those things, um, any figures of speech that might be talked about. And I know I've said this quite a few times, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page. When we're looking at a psalm, right? We're, we're interpreting a psalm. So what we're doing is we're going to make a bunch of observations about what the psalm says, what God's word says. Then we're going to interpret that, meaning what? What do I mean when I say we need to interpret the passage? What's another way of saying interpreting the passage? What, what's a question we could ask? If I say I'm going to interpret this passage, what am I looking to figure out? What's a question I'm asking? Okay. Okay, kind of. That, that kind of falls a little bit more under even observations, because observations are like, who's talking to who? I want to find out what's going on in the passage. So what's going on in the passage is observations. What's another way we can say interpretation? What's God telling us? Okay, that's close. Yes, ma'am? Okay, part of that, we're going to get to that step in a second. What is the meaning? That's what we're looking for. So observation is what's going on, interpretation is what's the meaning, and then application is what was just said, that we can apply it to our lives today. And a lot of times, if we don't get interpretation right, this makes sense, right? If we don't understand the meaning, we're not going to apply it correctly. And a lot of times, we, we don't understand the meaning of a passage or the context of a passage. And so we take that verse and we pull it out of its context and then we misapply it. And then we claim it as, as a promise maybe. And we go, well, God's word says it. Well, yes, it does. It does say that. But it says it to a specific group of people or it says it to a specific situation or whatever it might be. And because we didn't understand the meaning of it, what's going on and what it means, we pull it out and we go, okay, I'm going to apply this in this way to my life. And we've misapplied it because we didn't really understand the meaning. And I I just, uh, Saturday, I was talking to some some people after camp. We were talking about scripture. And one of the counselors, um, he said something along the lines of that he was reading in a passage in Romans. And he said, it was so amazing. I've read that passage so many times, but just this one time. And we were talking about something in the context of this verse. He said, it just jumped out to me like it never has before. Like, I've read that verse so many times, and then I read it this last week, and it was like right in my face. God was just like, here, you need to understand this. And I said, isn't it amazing how God's word does that? 
And he kind of implied the idea that God's word is always kind of changing in a sense. That it's like as we grow, the word kind of grows with us and shows us new things. And it was a great moment to remind him and me that God's word doesn't change. It's the same meaning from what it's always meant. But the application, depending on the season of life we're in, where we're at with Christ and our maturity, the application might change in that season. And this is where I went back to a professor in college that always said, all scripture has one meaning. It can only have one meaning. Otherwise, God's the author of confusion, which we know he's not. So all scripture has one meaning, but many applications. And I always use John 3.16 as an example. Right? There's only one meaning behind John 3.16. And John 3.16 is pretty easy because the meaning's right there for us. Because of God's love, Jesus came. Anyone who believes in Christ will have eternal life, and those that don't have belief in Christ will perish. Pretty simple meaning. That's, that's the meaning of the verse. However, as you walk through your Christian life, the initial love of God that you understood in salvation, you received in salvation, is pretty clear. He loved me so much, he wants to save me, and that overwhelms us. And we're saved, and we receive grace, and we live in awe of his wonder. But as you live your Christian life, say 5, 10, 15 years down the road, something happens, a tragedy, you lose a loved one, something happens that makes you feel like God doesn't love you. And this happens to all of us, by the way. We've all felt this. God is distant. God doesn't care. However you want to phrase it, basically what we're saying is, God, you don't really love me like I thought you once loved me. Then we go to John 3.16. The meaning has not changed. It's still salvation-based. But that love of God speaks a little different. It kind of applies a little different. Now I'm not applying it to just salvation. I'm applying it to he still loves me this much. So again, the meanings never change, but the application can change based on how God is leading us and how the spirit needs to guide us. That's why I love what the Bible says when he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words to say. So there might be a word that you feel like God is leading you to say today that you never would have thought that's what you would have said in that situation. But again, the word didn't change the application changed. So as we look at this, we're making observations. So we're looking at the text. We're making interpretation. What does it mean? And then application. How do we apply it to our lives? And what's really important with doing this with a psalm? What did we say was so important to remember as we're interpreting a psalm, as we're trying to figure out the meaning of a psalm? What did we need to keep in the forefront of our minds as we're exercising this practice? Sandra. Yeah. Yep, it's poetic in nature, and so it's poetic literature, which means what? It's kind of figurative language sometimes. It's highly emotional, a lot of hyperbole, right? Extremes, and we're going to see that in this psalm tonight, okay? Now, those things we take into consideration because that's how the psalmist is feeling, which is fine. We need to take that into consideration because we feel the way the psalms feel sometimes, the psalmist feels. But we got to be careful because we can't interpret that as that's how it is, and that's how it's always going to be if it's really just an emotional response to a situation the person's going through. So we need to take that into consideration. We believe in literal interpretation of Scripture. So if the Scripture says it, we take it literally. But that also means if it's poetry, we take it literally as poetry, a figure of speech. It's literally a figure of speech. So we don't just take it literally and don't take everything else into consideration. That's one of the knocks against 
the phrase is a literalist, somebody that believes the Bible should be interpreted literally, um, which actually, if you do that, you're an extreme fundamentalist nowadays, even in the church, by the way. Um, if you actually think the Bible is supposed to be taken literally, you're one of those crazy fundamentals. And I'm like, hey, praise God, I'll be, I'll be that, I guess. Um, fundamentalist in the sense of holding to the fundamentals, not fundamentalist of 1950s crazy legalism. Okay, two different groups there. Okay, we want to be one and not the other. Okay. But when you think about this, we need to take that in consideration as we look at this psalm. Anything else as we interpret a psalm that maybe we should keep in the forefront of our minds? Poetic in nature, figurative, can be highly emotional. Is it, I just want to make sure there's no other thoughts on that. Those are the things that I was going to point out, but I just want to make sure we're good. Okay? All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you guys 10 minutes. We'll have a little music so it's not too awkwardly quiet. Let you guys work through the text. And again, just... Circle, highlight, underline, um, whatever you need. See, Keith, you should have taken the highlighter. That would have been actually applicable in this, in this point. But anyway, so we'll give you guys about 10 minutes, and then we'll come back and work through the text together.
let's go ahead and uh, we'll dive into the text. Uh, again, I know it's only six verses, but I'd love to read it together. So if I can get a volunteer that would like to read the text for us. Renee, awesome, thank you. What an amazing example of the Psalms. Doesn't this kind of ring like Psalms usually ring when you read them? Um, it has a very familiar tone. What's the tone? It starts with what? Despair. Despair. He's focused. I've got that he's focusing on himself. Yes. Okay. So yeah, he's a self-focus, right? My pain. Crying out, right? Crying out to God. And then it ends... If we're being honest, kind of like some of our, at least my prayer life can be sometimes. We start our prayer, God, where are you? God, why are you doing this? God, why aren't you doing that? But by the end of the prayer, if we're walking in Christ, what does he do through his spirit? He reminds us, I actually never left you. I was always there. I understand this is what you're feeling, but this is reality. And so I, I love this psalm because in just six short verses, it really kind of caps, capsulates our uh, prayer life sometimes as followers of Christ. We start off in lament, uh, discouraged, distracted, uh, something happened and we're not sure why God is doing that. And then it moves to, by the Spirit, reminded that God never left. Now the problem is that some of us in our prayer lives, we only experience the first half. Right? Sometimes Christians, we can get stuck in that first half. God, where are you? God, why aren't you doing this? God, why did you leave me? And then we never let God take us to that next half of the song. And we kind of stay there and then we end our prayer and we go about our day. And then we wonder why we're still discouraged and we're still sorrowful and all of that. So here we see this example in this psalm. So let's start breaking this apart a little bit. So I just kind of entitled this the cry of David. As I was thinking through what, what this psalm kind of displays, to me it's just the cry of David. He's honestly just crying out. David here, uh, in the first two verses, we see David's how longs. So you can kind of bracket those first two verses, the how longs of David, okay? Uh, and he begins this psalm again on a note of despair. It says that he feels, that, or I, when I was reading through, I was thinking that it feels that the Lord is far from him. Now notice in that first verse, he actually talks about a few things here. He says that you forgot me, right? So we see that. How long does he think God's going to forget him? It could be forever, Right? Then he says this, you will, how long will you hide thy face? What is that phrase, hide thy face? How else can we reword that in our you know, way of saying it today? We're ignored by God. I like that. Yeah, that's how we feel, Julie. Distant. Distant. Yeah. Hidden. But hidden from me in the sense of what? Your presence. Right? I can't find you. I want to be in this close, intimate relationship and you're nowhere to be found, right? You say, turn your back on. Yep. Feeling like God's turned his back on us. Okay. Obviously, none of this is true, right? 
but it's an emotion. And so under hide thy face, I just wrote the word emotion. To me, that's an emotional response to the despair that he's feeling. Then in the second verse, what do we read there? How long? It talks about taking counsel in my soul. But that phrase there, I want to emphasize this if you haven't underlined it yet. Having sorrow in my heart daily. So this is a constant sorrow. This is something that's weighing on him. And then he asks, how long will my enemies be exalted over me? How long will my enemies be exalted over me? Now, even that phrase right there, some people have a difference of opinion on this, and it really doesn't super matter to the text. The point is that David has enemies, both spiritual and physical, that in his mind are kind of ruling over him or being exalted over him. Some think it was uh, King Saul when Saul was pursuing him and kind of going after him. Uh, this is, may have been written during that time, which would put it about 1 Samuel 19. Uh, some think it's more dealing with Absalom, which we've talked about hitting that whole situation before and what he went through with that. But either way, no matter what physical enemy it is, David feels despair and discouragement. It's all around him. And so whatever we're going through, whether it's an emotional response to a situation we're going through, or whether there's physically something going on around us where we really do feel like even the people around us are our enemies, right? Whatever's going on in our society or in our spiritual life, we feel this weight. So we can connect with David on this. Also in those first two verses, how many times does he say, how long? Four times he says, how long? And I love the repetition here because David is just reminding himself and the Lord, you're not here yet. You're not here yet. You're not here yet. How much longer? David doesn't understand why God is not responding or doing anything in his situation. Now, again, is God working in David's situation? Of course he is. But David doesn't see that. And to be honest, again, we've all felt this way. I don't know about you, but I've prayed about things, and then those things actually got worse before they got better. You pray about something, and the situation seems to get worse or even get farther away from what God would have than get closer to what God would have. They're not getting better. They're getting worse. And we go, God, I thought you said if I pray and I seek you that you would do a work in that. And we have to be reminded that just because we don't see God working doesn't mean God is not working We seek him. We feel like he's forgotten us. Faith in God does not always bring easy answers. That's one thing that jumped out to me in this psalm. Faith in God does not always bring easy answers. And I love that the Bible doesn't hide that from us. The Bible never suggests to us that to have faith in God or faith in Christ will make all things easy All the answers will come. Life will just be perfect. Again, Scripture makes it clear. Every follower of God in the Old Testament, every follower of Christ in the New Testament, all went through difficult seasons. They all did. And it doesn't matter what we think we're focused on as far as our our lives and what we're looking forward to, as far as what we expect God to do. We will, in this life, go through difficult times, even walking in faith. Because the Bible says that's part of walking with God in the fallen world world. Here, David joins with many others in expressing his confusion and frustration to God. A couple references you could jot down to kind of emphasize that. Psalm 73, verses 2 and 3. And then Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on your 
pronunciation. Habakkuk 1, 2, and 4. Habakkuk, the whole point of Habakkuk is, God, why aren't you punishing these people? God, why aren't you doing something about this? God, I just don't understand. And then God reveals to Habakkuk, or, uh, yeah, Habakkuk, I almost said Habakkuk again. Um, he reveals to uh, Habakkuk, he reveals to him, okay, what he's going to do, and what does Habakkuk respond with? When he does finally tell him, okay, I'm going to do this. He goes, that's not, that, don't do it that way. Don't do it like that. Why would you do it like that? Do it like this. And so again, even when we don't understand what God is doing and we cry out to him, when he does actually reveal what he's going to do, we still will tend to be like, well, yeah, that's not how I would do it. And so we're frustrated God's not working, but really we're frustrated that God's not working according to our timetable, according to our desires and what we want to have happen. And that's David's cry here. But I actually think maybe we should look at this from a different perspective. We cry out and we ask God why he's taking so long. All the how longs of David. And yet if we're really honest, we must step back and ask, how long have we made God endure with our lack of faith and impatience? David cries out four times, how long, God, are you going to let this happen? And I can almost, almost imagine God in his grace just saying, well, how long have I had to endure with you? in your lack of faith, your impatience. If we're really diving into scripture, we'll see many times where God says to us the how longs, if you will. I'll give you some examples. Numbers 14, 11. Numbers 14, 11. Jeremiah 4, 14. Jeremiah 4, 14. Hosea 8, 5. Hosea 8, 5. So Numbers 14, 11, Jeremiah 4, 14, and Hosea 8, 5. In each case, God points out his gracious endurance towards mankind. Yes? Yeah. Right. How long will I put up with this faithless generation? Yeah. And so even here, and and I kind of went to the Old Testament because it's dealing with David. And so David can almost hear God saying, hey, David, I've endured with your people. I've endured with you. But absolutely, Jesus, in the same tone in the New Testament, points out that lack of faith, points out that gracious endurance that he has with us. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God is patient with us. God endures with us because we all need grace. We tend to go to God and say, how long do I got to deal with this, God? And I can only imagine again, God saying, well, I've endured with you and I'm working a plan that you don't even understand. We feel like we are forgotten and God has fallen asleep on the throne. And yet we know that is not true. God is active and with us. He does not slumber, the Bible says. So what's the point here? Don't let your emotions convince you of a lie. Let the spirit guide you into truth. David is being very emotional right here. This is why we don't build our theology on a psalm. The psalms affirm theology revealed in clear scripture. Because again, we know, yes. Oh, I'm sorry, that statement. Don't let your emotions convince you of a lie. Let the spirit guide you into truth. And the Psalms reaffirm our theology that God tells us, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. When your heart condemns you, I'm greater than your heart. 
The greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, referring to the Antichrist. But yet also, I believe that also refers to, in principle, to Satan, refers to any spiritual enemies, principalities, or powers that we face. But again, isn't it hard when you're in the emotional state that we find ourselves to say that to ourselves and believe it? So much easier to believe the emotion that we're feeling. And again, we must remind ourselves God is always with us. So David starts to kind of get to this point. Look at verses 3 and 4. When he talks about here in verses 3 and 4, it says, consider and hear me. So now he's kind of transitioned. He's crying out, how long, how long, how long? Now he's saying, okay, would you just consider the situation I find myself in? In this moment of feeling disconnected from the Lord, David realizes the solution is to pray and ask for clarity. So what is David's solution to feeling disconnected from God? I need to pray, I need to seek after the Lord, and I need to ask for clarity. In the, in the text there, the word consider means to look upon or pay attention. To look upon or pay attention. So what's David crying out? Look upon me. Look what's going on in my life. Look what's going on around me. Would you pay attention to what's going on in this situation? Now, what does that sound like to you as far as David's demeanor in that prayer? Is he being timid? Kind of afraid to kind of say what he really feels? Well, I don't know if I'd say it's blasphemous. What is it? It's, it's bold. Lord, I don't feel you here. Would you just please consider what I'm going through? And the reason I don't think it's blasphemous is because what's he doing? He's crying out to God. He's not just complaining to complain, right? And he's saying, God, would you just consider this? Now, he's going to realize something that God is considering it. But go ahead and, and share what, what your thoughts are about that. And that is, but I mean, that's, it's just like kind of like a, really a very bold thing to say to Mm-hmm. So it's not like, why are you telling God to pay attention to you when you know that he's paying attention to you? Like, it's, I know why. It's because I, this is me. All oh, yeah, same here. Yeah. So I know why. It's because in your despair and what was me and God doesn't love me anymore. Oh, I, you know, or your sin starts convicting you. Mm-hmm. You start listening to your past and whatever, and God can't use me and, oh, you know, whatever. But yeah, but I mean, really, like, God does consider us every single right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's also notice God doesn't rebuke him for it. God receives it. Yes, yes. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. And, and I, I'm glad you said it that way because I want us to know that God wants us to pray that way. What does the, the Bible say in Hebrews chapter 4? We can come before the throne and receive grace and mercy at the proper time. That we can come boldly. Right? He's our father. He wants to hear our heart. He wants to hear our pleas. He wants us to be honest enough to say. Because here's the thing. We all feel this at times in our Christian life. But some of us are sometimes in our life. We don't feel bold enough to say it. Right? So ultimately. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Yes. And 
start hearing the truth in mm-hmm. you start hearing other people speak truth to you and remind you God's with you yes. even though you don't feel it. Yes. So Right. And then I've seen it happen in several of our posts. Then they now have shifted. Mm-hmm. And instead of this is a horrible loss, I can't go on, to this is a blessing mm-hmm. that God has given me because, yes, I'm hurting and, yes, I miss my spouse horribly. Mm-hmm. But praise God for the 40 some years. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah. Of that class. And then as they start hearing truth, right. The transformation that the Holy Spirit's doing mm-hmm. just And that's why I think I love that David is bold enough to pray this and then look at what he prays. So he says, consider, which means what? Look upon my situation. And then he specifically asks for something. He wants God's full attention. He's asking for God's full attention. And then he asks for something. And the specific thing that David prays for is that his eyes will be lightened. Okay? So that word lightened there. Underline that. Mark that somehow. The word itself means to give light or illuminate. So give light or illuminate. In Hebrew thinking, light was the embodiment of wisdom truth, and goodness. So when David cries out and says, lighten my eyes, what he's saying is, I need understanding. I need wisdom. Look upon my situation. Give me your full attention. Now that I have your full attention, I'm asking something of you. Give me understanding. Give me a wisdom to understand what's going on here. And what a prayer to pray when we feel like God is distant or forgotten us. Not, Lord, make yourself known. Lord, will you come back? Lord, take care of this or take care of that. But to pray, Lord, illuminate my eyes that I can see the truth. That's what David's praying. Lord, okay, I feel this way. I feel like you're distant and forgotten me. I feel like it's going to go on forever. By the way, we all feel this way. When things go sideways, it's like it's always going to be this way. It's never going to change, right? And he says, no, I'm not asking you to solve the problem. I must not understand what you're doing right now. So I'm going to ask that you would give me an understanding and a wisdom. So what can we write under there? James chapter 1, verse 5. James 1, 5. You see, David lacked wisdom to see, so he sought the Lord to give him that wisdom. He said, Lord, I, I, I don't get it. I, I, I can't see what you're doing, so would you give me an understanding Heart. His reasoning is that his testimony will remain intact before those that are coming against him. He does not want his enemies to rejoice when he is moved. David also longs for encouragement. He seems resigned to death and defeat unless God intervenes, which is what the sleep of death is referring. So he's saying, if, if, Lord, if I'm not understanding this, I would rather just lose my life and just you take me to heaven. You just take my life rather than seeing my enemies rejoice over me. Because here's the thing. If his enemies are rejoicing over David, it's actually a knock against God. 
And so David's saying, I don't want that. Give me understanding so that I would walk through this in the right way that would glorify God. And again, we see this not just from this psalm, but again, we're looking at the scope of Scripture. New Testament kind of going backwards, looking backwards and seeing how this could apply. Fortunately, David knows that his limitations are not God's limitations. Even as he expresses his struggles, David will affirm his trust in the Lord. Lord, I know you're doing something I can't understand. Give me wisdom. And then we see verses 5 and 6 which I just kind of marked as David's declaration. David's declaration. So David's prayer was answered. That's what 5 and 6 tells us. He prays, Lord, give me an understanding. Give me a wisdom. And in 5 and 6, God answered that prayer. Now, we have no idea how much time this took. We read it in a psalm and we go, hey, in three verses, he's fine. Like he went from like, God, where are you? To like, praise God, I'm going to sing praises. And it was only, it only took me three seconds to read that. So that's how much long, that's how long it should take us. We don't know how much time went from him praying that prayer to God answering that prayer. But I will say this, it doesn't have to be a long time. The only, and I truly believe this, one of the only reasons, apart from God just choosing to do something different, but if God is working and God is revealing and it takes us a while to get there, I would suggest nine times out of 10, it's not God not working. It's our stubborn hard-heartedness. We just refuse to receive it. Now, it could be because of grief. I'm just choosing to be in my grief because I just want to be. And I don't want to be in anything else. But again, I don't think that means God's not working. He's revealed his truth, right? It's right here. If we're a follower of Christ, we can read it. But sometimes we choose to be hard-hearted, and stubborn and say, no, I, I know the truth, but I'm not going to acknowledge it as true. I'd rather live in my emotion right now because you know what? It feels better to me to let this kind of simmer and just be mad at God or mad at people or just whatever it might be. So we don't know how long this took, but it doesn't necessarily have to take a long time because God is a God that does all kinds of wondrous works in our lives and they can happen instantly. If Our hearts are right, we're surrendered, and we're looking forward to that. But let me say with that, if it is taking someone a little while to get from one and two to five to six, don't be impatient with them. Be gracious, be kind, speak truth. I'm not saying we pat them on the back and let them stay a victim. We speak truth, but we do it graciously. As Paul says, humbly, right, in Galatians uh, 6. So verse 5, it says, But I have trusted in thy mercy, My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. That word bountifully there, we'll talk about in a little bit here, but it's an amazing word that he actually uses that word. David's prayer again was answered. He was given the understanding to see that God was in fact with him and had not forgotten him. David says that he has trusted in the Lord and his mercy and that trust will continue. So notice his declaration that his, quote, heart will rejoice. Now, that's in the present tense. It's going to rejoice today, right now. No longer is his heart full of sorrow daily. Do you see the comparison? Verse 2, I believe, my heart is sorrowful daily. Verse 5 and 6, no, my heart is rejoicing. I'm choosing to rejoice. 
So what changed? Not his circumstance, but his vision. That's what changed. His understanding changed. He was able to see the truth. That, by the way, was always there. This wasn't like, oh, God gave me this brand new revelation I never knew before. No, no, no. It was always there. He just couldn't see it. And that's why I tell people, and I like to look at it this way, when we study scripture, don't pray, Holy Spirit, give me a revelation of your word. It's already revealed. It doesn't need to be revealed again. No, Lord, give me an understanding heart. Lord, give me eyes to see what's already there. Give me an illumination in my mind. David says that God has dealt bountifully with him. That means to deal fully with. To deal fully with or deal out to. To extend to. So God has extended to him that mercy and that grace. So this word emphasizes the enormous extent of God's goodness. And so what is David realizing? Praise should be constant. Why? Because God is constantly good. Because God is constantly good and he's continually good. My praise should be constant. Difficult circumstances may not change, but neither does God's love for his people. God dealt to David his mercy and salvation in abundance as he has done with us. And so David decided, once he understood and saw the truth of who God is, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, it led him to something. And there's two things that led him to. Rejoicing in his salvation, right? Rejoicing in his salvation and singing his praises. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of that last phrase, when it says in verse 6, I will sing unto the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He has been good to me. He's extended grace to me. I can't help but think about Acts 16. And in Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And what are they doing at midnight? They're singing and praising the Lord in a horribly difficult situation. Something that I'm sure when Paul was going into ministry and he was you know, trusting in, God, in Christ and he was seeing God do great things. I don't really think Paul was like, Lord, I really hope you throw me in the prison one day after I'm beaten for preaching the truth. Now we know Paul was willing to go through that, but if we believe for a second that Paul wanted to go through those things or looked like for the opportunity and said, yeah, okay, I'll step into that. You can beat me and throw me in prison. No, nobody is looking for those things. What happens? He's preaching Christ and that's what happened to him. And he was rejoicing, not in being in prison, not in the beatings, but what does he say to Philippians or in Philippians? I'm hoping that you understand that all of these things have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. So he was rejoicing, not in the beating or the imprisonments. He's rejoicing that the gospel is going forth. And yet he finds himself sitting in a prison, bleeding from his back, chained to the floor in the deepest, darkest, nastiest part of the prison. And he's singing praises to the Lord. I can't help but think about that situation when you read what David writes here. I will sing unto the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. I'm going to trust in his mercy and I'm going to rejoice in his salvation. So my encouragement to us tonight, no matter what you go through, you can have the same testimony David had. It might start as a lament and a crying out and how long, God, how many more things are going to go bad before you finally take care of this? 
And we can either stay in that state and keep being a victim and keep having that defeated mentality, or we can say, God, no matter what happens, you've given me your grace. You've given me your mercy in Christ. I am a son, a daughter of God, and I don't like where I'm, what I'm in right now. I don't like the situation, but I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to sing praises to you because you are worthy. I'm going to ask that we would pray and be dismissed. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your grace and your mercy that we've just talked about. And Lord, I know we live in a fallen world with fallen man. People sin against us all the time. There's situations where decisions are made that affect us, that have nothing to do with us. We have no control over them. And Father, sometimes I can put us in situations where we feel like the enemy is closing in. That there's just discouragement, this feeling of defeat. But Lord, I pray that we would know that no matter what we're going through, either personally or as a church in this nation, Lord, we know that you are with us and you are for us because you are for your name. And we, as your people, those that are followers of Christ, you will display through us the riches of your grace so that your name is glorified. And so, Lord, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, I pray that we would ask for the same wisdom that David prayed for. That we would be honest and bold in making our hearts known. You tell us in your word that we should be anxious for nothing, but in all things, making our request or giving our request to you. That our supplications and our thanksgivings and everything else that we're feeling, that includes the heartaches and the difficulties, the tragedies. Lord, I always... Think about the example of Thomas. I feel like we've kind of given him a, a bad reputation, but Lord, I don't, I don't believe Thomas was a doubter. I think Thomas was so desiring to be with you that when you died and left in his mind, he was so heartbroken. When he heard the news that you resurrected, I truly believe that the reason he said I'm not believing until I can touch his wounds and stick my hand in his side. I think that was grief talking. I think he was heartbroken. And Lord, I'm so thankful that even in that real, raw moment of of emotion, you didn't rebuke him, Lord. You came to him and said, hey, I'm right here. Now, Lord, yes, you encouraged those that put faith and trust in you that didn't need that. But Lord, I'm so thankful that we can be real with you. That we don't have to pretend. That we can be honest in our hurts and our failures and our rejoicing and our victories. And so Lord, help us to have that kind of communication with you in our prayers. You know our hearts. You know what we're feeling. So why would we try to hide from you? And Lord, thank you that when we are honest and we cry out for wisdom that you will answer that request. You will give us understanding that we might grow in the knowledge of Christ and of your word. And Lord, why? Why all of this? Why deal to us so graciously with your goodness and your mercy for salvation? It's not supposed to stay with just us, Lord. It's for others as well. That others going through a difficult season, a tragedy, that we can point them to you. The one that can give them peace beyond understanding. A peace that the world cannot even offer so that you are glorified and that more and more people come to know Christ. 
So, Father, again, thank you for this example tonight that we read in your word of a man that was honest and real. Thank you for showing us how we can follow in that example. Would you go with us as we go our separate ways? Give us a great week, Lord, as we look for opportunities to make you known and encourage others in Christ. We thank you for all this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you guys are dismissed. We'll see you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock.